0: Let's bow our heads together before this wonderful Lord, whose beauty rests upon us this morning. Would you join me in prayer before the Lord? Oh Lord God, we thank you today that we do indeed have a risen King. And he's the bright morning star who has arisen in all the hearts of those who know you by faith. We thank you that your mercies never cease Your perfect love never changes. And Lord, when we are weak, you have promised that you will always be strong. We thank you for the joy of singing about your keeping power. And we thank you that you have given us your mind through your holy word and through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Our desire indeed today is that your beauty might rest upon us that we would only be channels that christ alone would be preeminent and help us to run the race strong and brave may we face the foe looking only unto jesus him exalting self-abasing, we know this is victory. In his gracious and loving and wonderful name we pray, amen. If you've had a chance to read my Bethel Matters article this week, you know that I've used the analogy of a turtle on a fence post. And if you have ever seen a turtle sitting on a fence post, one thing you know immediately, it didn't get there by itself. And as I come to this day, uh, it's very much the way that I feel this morning. Uh, The Lord in his goodness and graciousness has sent to me all the people that I've so desperately needed to help me try to stay on the fence post. And obviously, um, Ellen is chief amongst those. I, I was a single pastor for three years. And after three years, the Lord knew that was enough. I was in trouble by myself. And I needed someone to come and rescue me. And in the Lord's goodness, he sent Ellen to me. And she has been a wonderful wife and a wonderful pastor's wife. And I'm just so grateful for these 32 years that we have had together. And then I'm so thankful for Pastor Hank and Ann. When you come to a church and you receive colleagues, you're grateful for those colleagues, but when they become dear friends of yours, you know that you are blessed indeed. And I know you've heard me say before, but it's true, I I feel like one of the reasons the Lord sent me up here was so I could just learn from Pastor Hank, and uh, Anne has certainly been a big part of that, and uh, we just feel so blessed to have such dear, dear friends who have been our colleagues here at Bethel. Uh, And then I I think of our staff, Um, all three of our staff members uh, were hired after I came, Uh, Becky, Julie, and Chris, and um, in many ways I almost feel as though I I really didn't have a part of that, it just seemed as though the Lord sent them to us, and uh, the congregation recognized that they were God's gift to this church. And as I think about what Bethel means in our community and the ministry we have, I know much of it is because of the staff that God has brought here. And then as I think of our elders, um, it was uh, a blessing to see uh, Pastor John Piper in the little video clip. And at the last conference that we were at just in April, um, he was interviewed over his 40-plus years in ministry. And one of the things he said was, Make friends of your elders. And as I sat there, I, I just rejoiced in my heart because the elders here have offered me their friendship. And they have been a, a tremendous blessing in so many ways that I could not uh, take time to share. But Pastor Hank and I often said to each other, we could not pastor this church without the elders. And I'm so grateful that God has raised them up in this congregation. And then just you as a congregation, uh, your, your love, your support, uh, the generosity of your time, your gifts, and, and your resources. Uh, Ellen and I realize how blessed we have been to be a part of a congregation like this. What other church could you, could you say to the children's director and the music director, uh, VBS is like a, a week of vacation for me. Uh, what other church could you say that in? Uh, that It's just such an inspir- inspiring time as you see the whole church from the older all the way down to the younger working together to serve the Lord and to give our lives in grateful devotion and ministry to Him. And so it's been a great, great blessing for us. So for all of you, uh, thank you so much that this analogy really rings true. Thank you for helping me be that turtle, balancing myself on that fence post. Well, this morning, as we turn to God's word, I'd like to begin with a question I want you to consider. And the question is this, how would you finish the following statement? I would be satisfied if. How do you think many people would finish this statement? I would be satisfied if, if I had more money, if I had a newer car, if I had a nicer house, if I had a boyfriend, if I had a girlfriend. I would be satisfied if I was married. I would be satisfied if I was not married. I'd be satisfied if I had a new job. I'd be satisfied if I lived in a finer neighborhood. Do you know people who have all the things that I've just mentioned and are still not satisfied? Well, they're all around us. Many of us know that uh, this man on the screen, Jim Carrey, has been a very, very popular actor. And at the height of his popularity, he made $20 million per movie. Can you imagine how many people would love to trade places with a man so successful and popular? And yet I want you to notice what he one time said. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. What a statement that is. And I have to say, the answer to what? What's the answer that he is talking about? Well, it is satisfaction. It is contentment in life. And take it from the man who has everything, that's Not the answer. What is the answer? Well, the Apostle Paul knew. And this morning, as we turn to a very autobiographical section in the book of Philippians, I want to see what he tells us is the secret of contentment. And I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 through 14. And let's notice together what the Apostle Paul lets us in on is the answer to this question. What is real satisfaction? What is real contentment in life? And listen to what the Word of God says to us. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul answers two very important questions that all of us need to be able to have the answer to. The first one is, what is contentment? How would we define it? And here's what the Apostle Paul tells us contentment is. It is inward satisfaction when we have external dissatisfaction. That is when things on the outside are such that we cannot control them, we cannot cannot change them, yet on the inside there is a satisfaction with life itself. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I want to ask, do we have this? Do we have this? When outside of us, things are not as we wish, and they're beyond our control, can we be content with godliness on the inside? Now, this definition here flows right out of verses 10 and 11, and we see it in a couple of ways. Number one, we see it in the very meaning of the word Paul uses for content In verse 11, it is a word that means independence of external circumstances. And this word is used only here in the New Testament. So think about what this means. This is a rare, unique word that is offering something very special to believers. It means to be self-reliant. It means to be self-sufficient. My old professor, Warren Wiersbe, says the word content is related to the word contained. And something that is self-contained has everything it needs within itself. So here this word means to be inwardly content or strong, while outwardly you lack certain needs. Now, the second way we can see this definition is in what Paul says happened to him as he describes it in verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, he thanks the Philippians for the gift they sent to him while he was in his first Roman imprisonment. But then in verse 11, he's very quick to say to them and to clarify, My thanks is not simply for your gift. I'm thankful, Philippians, for you, because, Paul says, I could be satisfied even if my needs went unmet. Now, let me just ask us this morning, as we think about this definition, what does this mean for us in practical terms? Well, here are some possibilities, all right? Here's some possibilities. You'd like clothes from Hollister, but you only have a Walmart budget. And that's okay with you. Or you'd like to dine at Red Lobster, but you can only afford Wendy's. And you're happy. Uh, You'd like to have a a, a new set of wheels to drive around Marquette Inn or Marquette (laughs) County Inn. But you drive the old jalopy that you can afford. And you're content. Or you'd love to have a hot tub. Just to relax in and enjoy. But you would have to spend your offering money to get it. And so, you live without it. Now, these are just a few possibilities. I, I'm sure that we could come up with many, many more. But here is the problem that we have as we face this definition of contentment. One of my old profs, Tom Constable, said, Contentment is not a natural gift. And all God's people said, Yeah. Yeah. We are not naturally like this. As a matter of fact, we all know we are the opposite of this. And so what's the key? What is the secret to living life this way? Well, that's the second question that Paul answers, because he lets us in in his own secret. And so, in addition to this question of what is contentment, perhaps the most important one is how do we become content? And Paul gives to us three very, very helpful answers. I want you to notice the first one. First thing he says is we have to learn it through life's hard knocks. What this tells me is you can't sit in a classroom and learn contentment. You can't listen to somebody describe what it means to be content, take down notes, take a test, and say, I'm now content. Twice in this text, Paul says he learned contentment the hard way, and he uses two different words for the word learned. When he says, I have learned, in verse 11, that is a word that means learning through practice or experience. And then in verse 12, when he says, I have learned the secret, it means I have been initiated. I've been instructed in this. Interestingly, that expression was used of the mystery religions of Paul's day, where people would learn the secret knowledge of the particular mystery religion. And what would happen is, converts would go through an initiation process where they would learn the secrets to the mystery religion. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, our initiation process is the hard knocks of life. For Paul, it was not enough food in prison. I'm sure you noticed in verse 12, he says, there were times in this prison where I was hungry. Now here's what we need to know about the Roman prison system. Prisoners had to obtain their own food. Since Paul could not work, he had to be given money in order to buy food. There were times when the money did not come in. He went without food. Can you believe this? The great apostle Paul starved. And in the process of going hungry, Paul became content, even though his stomach, Still ate. When I met Ellen, one of the qualities that impressed me about her the most was how content she was. And I knew that when I got married, I, I would need to have a wife who was content because pastor's wives have to sacrifice a great deal. And if they cannot learn to accept the sacrifices that come with being married to a pastor, they can either break or make his ministry. And so I was very attracted to Ellen's contentment. What I learned the more I got to know her was her contentment was won through struggle. If you know her story, you know that her goal in life was to be a wife and a mother. She saw her two best friends get married, and it wasn't happening for her. And finally, she reached a point where she thought to herself, it's not going to happen at all. And this is what she said to the Lord. She said, Lord, if this is what you want for me, I will be content. And she focused on her ministry at church, teaching children, singing in the choir. She focused on her job at the Christian bookstore where she was so helpful to so many people. She focused on her family and on her friends and her contentment that has been so helpful to me now for 32 years came through struggle. It came through pain. One of the reasons that God permits hard knocks in life is to teach all of us how to be content. If you're not as smart as your friends, but you accept that, God can give you character instead. If you're not as handsome as others, but you accept the way that God has made you, He can make you attractive on the inside. If you don't make as much as your neighbor makes, and you say, Lord, it's okay, He can give you spiritual riches instead and if you're not as athletic as somebody else is, and you don't make the team, God can use you on His team. And contentment is learned as you accept the hard knocks of your life. Notice with me the second answer that Paul gives to us. If we're going to learn to be content, we have to value it as a source of strength. See we have to see contentment as something that will give us a strength that will take us through the hard times of life. And now as we look at this text, we come to this famous verse that all of us have memorized And I want you to read it with me this morning. It is Philippians 4 and verse 13. And let's say it together, though most of us know it by heart. Would you read it with me? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And all God's people said. Now, you know, this verse is often misunderstood. You see, we quote it to mean our activities. And so we say, I can have power to pass the exam. I can have the strength to give the speech, even though I'm very nervous. I can have skill to play the sport. And I don't want to discount those as applications. But that's not what this verse means in context. In context, here's what the verse means strength to be satisfied despite our hardships. That's what it means. Strength, power to be satisfied despite our hardships. I love the way one translator has translated this. I can face all conditions regardless of what happens and still be content. By the way, doesn't that just sound appealing to you? I mean, it does to me. My heart responds to this. I think I would like that. Because there are a lot of things in this world that disappoint us, aren't there? There are. One of my favorite statements from Charles Spurgeon is this statement that he made giving advice to young pastors. And look at what he said. Be not surprised when people fail you. It's a failing world. And there are so many ways, we all know, in which we're let down, frustrated, dissatisfied. And I say to myself, you mean to tell me? There's something that I can have that keeps me satisfied anyway? There is something that the Lord offers to me That is independent of this failing world. When I don't get what I want. I can still be at peace. And say I am fine. Where can I get this? Tell me where I can find it. And we don't have to go anywhere. Because if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, He lives within us. And so Paul's third answer is receive it through Christ in us. You see, the second half of this famous verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is saying that Jesus will make us content. It's interesting, the word strengthen here is actually a compound word. It means to be in-strengthened, and it carries the meaning of infuse strength into. You'll notice in this text that that Paul, as is often true of him, cannot think of himself apart from the Lord. He begins verse 10 by saying, I rejoiced in the Lord. Paul is describing there his union with the Lord. Now he comes back to it and he says, I can have the strength to be content in all of life's hardships because I'm united to Christ and he in-strengthens me, he infuses strength in me. And when we love Jesus this much and live close to him, he will infuse his strength, strength of soul, strength of purpose. We won't be overwhelmed. We won't be angry. We won't be miserable. We won't be without hope because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You know, I don't think I could do any better in explaining this than to share with you the signature song of a well-known singer who gave up wealth and fame to sing for many many years for the Lord and he wrote a signature song at 20 years of age. You all know this man, George Beverly Shea. Billy Graham always said, he's my favorite singer. He was always the last one to sing before Billy Graham preached. And the signature song that he wrote the music to, taking the poem and writing the music to it, is the song that he sang, More Than Any Other. And you know these words. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. This world... Affords today. And when Jesus means this much to us, He'll make us content. He's the answer, amen. He's always, always the answer. Let's bow together, shall we, and thank Him. Just before we sing and head to the gymnasium for a time of fellowship and enjoyment around the table, maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you can't say with certainty. He lives within my heart. I know that I have been born again by the Holy Spirit. And I'm a member of the family of God. And today, right where you're seated, quietly in your own heart, you can turn to Jesus. You can say to him in your own thoughts, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've failed you in many ways. And this morning, right in this service, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way. And I'm turning to you. Lord Jesus, I believe who you are. You are the God-man sent into this world you went to the cross and you died to pay for my sins you rose again and you conquered sin death the grave and hell itself and you offer forgiveness and eternal life to all who will humbly receive you lord jesus you may say by faith i I put my trust in you today. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of my many sins. Give to me the gift of eternal life. This very day, make me a child of God. Make me a member of your family. And now, Lord Jesus, knowing that I will not follow you perfectly, not follow you without error, sin, or mistake, yet it is my heart's desire and gratitude for what you have done for me to live for you in the fellowship of your people under the teaching of your word out of a grateful heart for a wonderful Savior. Holy Spirit, thank you that you can open blind eyes, you can take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh, draw men, women, boys and girls, young people, to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, for his sake. Amen.